Can you all hear me all right? All right. Uh, we'll be looking at, as you can see, Rahab uh, under the idea of uh, theme of movement of harlot to hero. And so while we'll look at Hebrews 11 in a minute, if you wouldn't mind, if you want to, get your Bibles out digitally or in print and go to Joshua chapter 2. That's where we're going to be going for a good bit of today's Bible study. I find, always find Rahab to be the most interesting character. When Israel is entering the promised land in Joshua 2, one of the first people they encounter is Rahab. And you know that there's the command that God gives the Israelites to clean out uh, Canaan. And Rahab stands out as an, a shining example of inclusion and in how that happens. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll look at Rahab here. In, in Hebrews chapter 11, um, she's one of only two women that are in this uh, list of the heroes in the hall of, hall of Faith, Sarah being the other one obviously uh, connected to Abraham. And you, you've got to have both of them together because um, that's how children happen. And that was one of the major promises there. Um, so Rahab is included, in, and this, of course, stands out, as, as we'll see. Let, let's all read together Hebrews 11.31 here. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies since she had received the spies in peace. Okay, in brackets is another way to translate the end. I mean, in the Greek, it talks about her receiving them in peace. Friendly is maybe a, maybe a good translation of that, but in peace is, is what it gets at there. Um, which is itself uh, kind of set up for talking about peace and hospitality in the book of Hebrews. Well, this is a kind of interesting way to end a list of heroes of faith. I mean, there are some others that are put tacked on the end, and she's not tacked on. She, she's there in the historical stream of things from Jericho into um, Rahab. So why is she included, right? And how did she, Rahab move from being a harlot of Jericho to a hero of the faith, which is a pretty drastic move to make. Right? And so we'll want to look at Joshua chapter 2 um, and a little bit of the background before that to, to be able to dive into that. Okay, a bit about the, the background. Because uh, we don't start out of nothing, right? So when uh, before we get up to Rahab, of course, there's the background of God making promises to Abraham and Sarah. We heard about that some weeks ago, right? The old and barren couple that were not able to have children, and God said, of all the people on the earth, right, that I'm going to have many descendants come out of to be a blessing in all nations, it's going to be the impossible couple, right? And also promises them a place to live with God, and this is in the land of Canaan, right? And so this would be this new type of Eden, where there's God's people living with God, God's presence in this uh, new land. Well, the numerous descendants come, right? Read on through Genesis. And when the curtains open again in Exodus, we find the numerous descendants in Egypt, and they end up being enslaved. And, you know, you can read about that there, but they're enslaved, which means they're obviously 
not going to be able to get out and go to the promised land. And of course, then there's the other issue of Pharaoh trying to, in various ways, uh, get rid of them, right? Genocide being there. So God steps in, hears their cries for deliverance, Israel's cries for deliverance, and you know, brings them out of slavery and the genocide that was occurring there and defeats Pharaoh's army. And at that time, Egypt was the major power in the ancient Near East, all the way from what we'd say today is Turkey to Iraq, you know, all through you know, Israel and Jordan in that area. They, had, they were the king of things. And so through this, of course, God showed who the real king is uh, to Egypt and the nations around them. And, you know, of course, drowns Pharaoh's army in the Reed Sea as Israel miraculously passes through, you know, safely to the other side, doing absolutely nothing to deliver themselves. And, and God closes over the sea over Pharaoh's army to defeat that superpower. And then on the other side, you know, Moses sends out 12 spies to go into the promised land to spy it out to see how fruitful it is and also get a sense of its military abilities. Uh, the spies come back with great evidence that it's a land of bounty. They bring back great uh, grape cluster, which is, of course, good for wine. Uh, but their report was, we can't take this place because we're like grasshoppers and they're giants, right? And so Israel doubts that they can get in, and God says, fine, you won't, and makes them wander around for 40 years until that generation is gone. There was a doubting generation. And so this brings us to this point in the, in the, in the history, where Moses has died with that generation, Joshua is the new leader, and they're on the edge of the promised land, and now they're going to go in again. Um, and so Joshua sends in two spies. And they're going to look at the land again to survey it. And in particular, they want to go to look at Jericho because Jericho is this first big city along the way. Right? And so in chapter 2, you know, the spies go in. And where do they go to stay hidden? But they go to a whorehouse. So what their Ahab is is a prostitute. And they go into the city and they hide there. Now, that should raise questions, right? Why are people of God going into a whorehouse? Well, we can think all sorts of things, right? Um, but if we want to put the best construction on it, and that's not always a bad thing to do, is to put the best construction on things until proven otherwise, is they're going there to be very secretive. Because where could you go where you would be least uh, recognized, right? Where it would be most obvious that, well, this is where people come and guys come and go. Right, without being detected. So I think this is what they're trying to think. They go there, and the king of Jericho, we might want to say the king is more like a mayor, but fine, king of Jericho somehow no knows that they've come in to spy out the land, and so he sends his men to capture the spies. And so what does Rahab do? But she hides the men on the rooftop in flax, right? and the rooftop is where you would store things and even sleep at night. So she hides them there, and when the king's men ask, where are these men, she, she deceives them. There's no two ways about it. Right? She clearly deceives them. She clearly lies to them. Maybe there's some truth in there, but most of it's a lie. And she says, you know, that the spies have already left the city. They went out the gates. They went that way. If you really hurry on up, you can get them. Right? So sends those spies away. And then Rahab helps the, the spies secretly escape. And she lowers them outside of her window, and her house is built on the city, outside of the city wall. She lowers them outside of the window. 
down and get out and then tells him, go hide in the hills for three days and then, you know, the, the king's men will be, won't be able to find you and they'll just give up and then you can go on your way. Now, she lets them down on a scarlet cord, which is, of course, significant in terms of colors and remembering the Passover and, and this, this story of, of blood and the symbol of blood and, and how people escape death. So this is what Rahab d- does here, right? So there's a lot of spying and lying that goes on here, which is maybe not the best setup for uh, what you would think of a hero of faith. So a question, why did Rahab help Israel instead of her king? So we have Joshua 2, 8 through 14. Just follow along if you've got it there. Joshua 2, chap, uh, Joshua 2, verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up, to the roof, came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord, Yahweh, has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan on the east side, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, or as I have been faithful to you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house, or be faithful to. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives uh, gives us the land, we will deal kindly, that is, faithfully, loyally, and, and faithfully with you. Okay? So here we get... Rahab, why does she help Israel instead of her king? Where does her loyalty lie? Well, she expresses her loyalty very clearly when she confesses that Yahweh, and she says your God, but you can see how she is make, you know, grasping out, reaching out. God is, you know, Yahweh is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. This is language that Moses had used earlier. In other words, we know that Yahweh is the God of everything. controls everything, which is a deeply different view than the polytheistic world that she lives in, where there's a god of rain, there's a god of mud, there's a god of trees, there's a god of everything, including, you know, gods of iPads and things like this. There is one god, and we know this. We heard about it in Egypt when all those gods were useless, right? And the one god was in control of everything and brought Israelites out of death into life. And our hearts melt because we know this god is here to uh, give the land to you. So what's her faith based on but reports, words, rumors, but true ones, right? That God had defeated Egypt and delivered Israel. And so she trusts. Unlike, right, here's the contrast. Read the book of Numbers. Read the book of Judges, you know, that follows afterwards. She trusts that who God is and what God can do. Unlike most of the Israelites, she stands in, 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 in contrast to that. She trusts that God is all-powerful and faithful, loyal to what God promises to do. 
and that God will indeed give Canaan, including Jericho, to Israel. So not wanting to be destroyed for her sins, right? Here she's very concerned about death here, not wanting to be destroyed. She shows faithfulness, or you could translate it as loving kindness or loyalty. She shows faithfulness to God right, by sparing the lives of the spies. Now, some key things to, to note here as we move along is that earlier God had promised Abraham and Sarah that he, he would bless those who bless Abraham and Sarah, that is, he would bless those who support God's plan of blessing all nations, and that, that all nations would be blessed through Abraham and his descendants. And we see that you know, Rahab's faith is in God's power over life, and her faithfulness to, to Abraham's offspring, namely the spies in Israel here, are really her repentant plea to God to be delivered. How is she going to reach out to God to be delivered? She knows that God is powerful and faithful. She wants to be preserved. And so her repentant plea comes out in this confession of who God is and in showing love to the spies, pleading for mercy on her sins and then obviously deliverance from death. And we see that it's through Israel, Abraham's line, right, that God actually graciously delivers and blesses Rahab and her family. Here's an example of, like uh, with Noah, right, the, the, the faith of the one what it does for the many. And of course, ultimately, we see this in Christ, of the true faithfulness and righteousness, the one that delivers the many. And so what happens with Rahab is that she is mercifully included in God's redeemed people. Right? The one that is on the outside, even for pagan society, gets brought in to God's redeemed people and brought in a way that is amazing that we see in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, that she herself is a great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus, deeply included in salvation herself and in God's plan of salvation for all. And so with Rahab's story, in James chapter 2, if you have time, read this, um, draws up on how faith and faithfulness go together. And Rahab is that great example, right? That her faith in God's salvation is not merely an expression of trust, right? Confession, which is there, right? But it also leads to the loving actions, the faithfulness, which she did for the spies in this plea, right, for mercy. And so we need, do need to emphasize, though, that it is not Rahab's faithfulness that saved her. Quite clearly so, because by nature, by occupation, by culture, she was unfaithful. By occupation, she's a prostitute, right? I mean, that's a definition of infidelity when it comes to marriage. Uh, by nature, you know, we're all unfaithful in that sense, and she was too. And by culture, she was unfaithful because she did not worship the one true God. There was nothing about her fidelity that earned her salvation, right? It was her trust in who God is and her plea that reached out for that. And this God responded to. She had heard of God's power and faithfulness, and this moved her. It moved her to trust that God would deliver her. It moved her to love others rightly. Notice what she doesn't do with the spies, and notice what she does with the spies, right? How does she love them? Not the way she normally would. 
And so with Rahab, we really want to ask ourselves questions like this. You know, how are you like the unfaithful prostitute? How by, you know, thought, words, actions, deeds, nature, culture, are we unfaithful? And then more importantly, what words about God that you hear move you to trust and move you to love? And Rahab had, of course, a partial view of salvation in hearing about God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt. But we have the full picture of salvation and what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And so how does that move us? How does that move us from infidelity to faithfulness? How does that move us to faith and loving others rightly?